This is your time to lit up with Angela Breidenbach. Lit Up is lighting up the literary world with book reviews, in-depth expert interviews, and ideas for you to design a lucrative writing career. Expand your imagination to enhance your life. Lit Up is always family-friendly, always good for your heart. Now, here is your host to Lit Up, Angela Breidenbach. Everybody, I'm so glad you could be here with us today. Something special I'd like to share with you has to do with a lot of people staring at a blank page with their stomachs tied in knots. They just don't know what to write or they're afraid to put their words on paper where somebody else might read it. Why am I special? or original, or have anything to say. If those are the fears that are flying through your mind like a plague of locusts, they eat up your confidence each time you sit down to write. I'd like to share with you a new book called Worthy to Write, 30 Prayers to Tackle That Fear. It's from the Pencil Dancers team. Connect in to that gift that God has given you. You are worthy to write. Pick up your copy today. On that topic, Let's get into the show. I have the privilege of interviewing my friend, Cindy McMiniman, and she has written a book called Drama Free, Finding Peace When Emotions Overwhelm You. So obviously today we're talking with a nonfiction author. She's also a member of the Christian Authors Network, and she's a national speaker, an award-winning author who helps women strengthen their relationships with God and others. And she's been married to her hubby, Hugh, a pastor, for 29 years. And it's really fun talking to somebody who's an hour behind me instead of all the East Coast folks. That's really, really hard to get up early and interview. So it's fun to interview somebody who had to get up early for me. <laughs> Welcome, Cindy. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be talking with you today. Are you a, an early bird or a night owl? It depends. Uh, there are times when I start writing and I just get going and my mind won't shut off. And pretty mm -hmm. soon I'm like, oh my goodness, it's one o'clock. And <laughs> then I'm not a morning person the next morning. <laughs> but for the most part, I do my best writing when I'm fresh. But I, I've never really been a, well, when I was younger, I was a 5 a.m. get up, study, right? And where did no. those years go? I don't know. <laughs> do you, you wanted to get up at 5 a.m.? Well, because I saw that I got so much more accomplished and everything, and I don't know, is it as you get older that gets harder to do? Or <laughs> I don't know. I've heard I'm of older folks and that... I'm tired and I'm sore when I get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> that part I'm feeling too. Although yeah. I, you know, as a creative, I think health is really important to us, mm -hmm. and not just our physical health, but our mental health and um, how we choose and what we what we choose to do. But, you know, last, I've had a lot of people here for a remodel for the last couple of months. Our, our listeners actually have heard some of my unusual woes about being in remodeling. And then all of a sudden the, there'll be a hammer going down below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was talking with uh, the fellow who's installing cabinets for me just this morning, as a matter of fact. And he was saying the same thing. It's like, you know, I get so much more done if I get up early and I get going in the morning. And I thought that was really fascinating. It's relative, though. The earlier you start working in your day, like if you get up and you spend two or three hours or four hours doing something else, it's harder to get into that work. It's harder to get your mental, you know, definitely in the game. Yeah. And you don't obviously get as much done because you've wasted time. 
Right. But, and then you end up staying up till one in the morning because when you finally got going, then you realize I need to be productive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. That's what happened to me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you some questions about your book, Drama Free, Finding Peace When Emotions Overwhelm You. And then later on, as we get going in the show, you're going to share what we should write, why we should write, and more about the passion of what our topics are in our writing. But right mm-hmm. now, could you tell us a little bit about drama-free? Because that's the very first thing I noticed. I'm like, yes, please, drama-free. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found it interesting that uh, I saw a statistic 75% of women, and I do uh, write primarily to women, mm-hmm. 75% of women in this country fear public speaking. And yet I started thinking 100% of women live on the stage. I mean, everywhere we go, we have an audience, whether we realize it or not. And so I started thinking about that whole concept of drama, how we can be drama and have this audience and be getting bad reviews when we don't even realize it. Um, You know, at the department store when uh, maybe your uh, transaction doesn't go the way you wanted or that wasn't a sale price, but it was listed as a sale price. And um, are you going to be drama in that moment and, and collect all these reviews you don't even realize? Or Are you going to not let those emotions overwhelm you and just kind of be even keeled? I also looked at the fact that women know drama just because uh, we can be around people that um, are drama. We can enter a situation where something escalates. And so I looked at some practical ways, things I've learned in my own life as well as as some biblical instruction Mm -hmm. on how to dial down that drama and possibly eliminate it in your life altogether. Mm, I like it was this. A one to write. <laughs> it was a convicting one to write. I know people in my family were saying, you are writing a book on drama free because they tend to think that I'm dramatic. <laughs> but I think that's the artist in me. I think that we're expressive. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to I want to say you're right. Because a person is creative, because uh-huh. they are expressive doesn't mean they are a drama queen. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, I pointed out that God is the most dramatic being ever. I mean, when you look at what he did in the Bible, how he created the earth, I mean, he does things in a very dramatic way. Mm -hmm. Jesus did things in a very dramatic way that got people's attention. Oh, yeah, like turning water into wine. Exactly. Or um, go open the mouth of that fish that you catch Mm -hmm. and uh, there will be a coin to pay your taxes. Really? I mean, send somebody to the, you know, smelly mouth of a fish to get their coin, you know, (laughs) and uh, with all that drama, um, it all glorified God though. And so Mm -hmm. I looked at what can we, when we're dramatic, when we get our point across, is it glorifying ourselves? Is it putting us on stage or is it spotlighting our creator Mm -hmm. and the one who deserves to be spotlighted? So it was, um, I've been getting great uh, great comments on the book. Young girls have been going through it with their moms and uh, oh, that's really cool. looking at that element of drama. Um, one girl brought her, uh, led the high school girls at her church through that and they all felt it was really helpful. And of course their moms did too. And so it's <laughs> no matter what our age is. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that's the one thing that I have found easier to work with men usually than with women because men don't like drama. And so they tend to just like go quiet. But what I have found out about men, you know, my Mm -hmm. experience is that they go quiet, but there's a lot of drama going on in their heads. Yeah, maybe more silent drama. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. my husband will hear about certain things I'll say and he'll go, I, I don't understand how women do that. But <laughs> then I have heard from some men after I had this book published that there is, yeah, exactly what you said, drama, but it's kind of behind the scenes drama. Mm -hmm. It's kind of some internal drama mm -hmm. and it, it just looks differently than it does for women. I think you could look at it like this. You were earlier saying women are, you know, on stage 100% where they go. Mm -hmm. And we do prep ourselves to do that. But, mm -hmm. you know, once they you close the curtain, there's a lot of crazy screaming that goes on behind the curtain in a theater. Mm -hmm. And I think women are more in front of the curtain and men are more behind the curtain. The men uh -huh. are the crazy screwing behind the curtain. That's all happening right. in, you know, kind of in secret. Um, where women, it seems like it's in front of the curtain. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And I've also found that drama is often, it takes place when we react emotionally without a plan. Sometimes women tend to be more verbal in, in their reactions. They tend to express more. I mean, you know, men can say, oh, women are more emotional, maybe outwardly. But we all have emotions, and we I all would have say, to deal with those. <laughs> I would say I've I've met a lot of men who they have deeper, stronger, more intense emotion than I do. You know, right? I've, I've talked with them. They can, and a lot of that like explosiveness, where they're they're keeping everything behind the curtain, and then they right. suddenly explode, and the other people that are in the room are going, "Where'd that come from?" Exactly. You know, well, I came from behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's a fascinating concept to really explore how men and women are different this way. But I also think that that comes to play for authors, for creatives. You know, you may be an actor and screwing behind the scenes and then forward you have this other presentation. I think when you are writing that play, you're writing that book, um, there is that passion that you're going to talk to us about that happens in the creation of that book or that play or that music, that art. And I think it's a really important thing to tap into and present in a, uh, what, what do you call it, a more acceptable manner. But mm -hmm. that tapping in, oh my goodness, that can be painful. Right. What do you think about... You said finding peace when emotions overwhelm you. That's the subtitle. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? How do you find that peace? You know, you can find that peace. I, I talk about sometimes just capturing your thoughts because our thoughts can tend to run wild. We can tend to go into the whole what if scenario. Our thoughts can take us down a, a path that we shouldn't be going. They can instantly go negative or explosive. Capturing those thoughts, correcting your thinking mm -hmm. with the truth of the situation. Sometimes it's just a process of considering the bigger picture. Uh, when you're in a situation and somebody else um, seems to be drama, maybe somebody said something about you and you don't like that, and then you're hearing other things, sometimes we need to consider the source People who hurt can tend to hurt people. Mm. Sometimes we need to really consider the bigger picture. There's often more to the story than we've heard. Uh, we only hear a portion of it, and we can tend to react to that. Sometimes we need to investigate that out a little bit more so we can maturely respond. Some practical steps like considering your words carefully. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that whole thing of, of counting to 10 or walking away from a situation before you respond to a text or an email. So you give your emotions a chance to cool and then you can think more clearly. So we can be drama free in our lives basically when we res- learn to respond maturely rather than react emotionally. I would agree. I had a a situation that was very difficult. And instead of, you know, just like immediately responding, I continued the conversation I was in because it helped me cope with the negativity of these other people. And like you said, when when you're in these stressful situations, often you fire something off without thinking or you jump the gun thinking right. that you can control what somebody else will do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think your your book, Drama Free, Finding Peace When Emotions Overwhelm You, is really timely, not only for you know immediate situations that happen as people go through life normally, but for this time in our country and this right. time in our lives. So we'll be right back with Cindy McMenamin. Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this. I'm excited to share with you the Captive Brides Collection, nine stories of great challenges overcome through great love. The Captive Brides Collection has nine novellas written by nine different authors, and next week we're going to hear from Carrie Fancett Pagels, one of the authors in the collection. She has written a book that has a slave at the heart and how she escapes that and finds love. But as a sister author in this collection, it's really fun for me to be able to share Carrie Fancy Pagels with you and Love's Escape on our next show. Tune in with us on iTunes or on toginet.com. Does your past haunt you? Do you feel helpless sometimes? Are deep wounds still hurting your heart? Discover how the troubles from your past have prepared you for a beautiful future in Gems of Wisdom, the treasury of experience by Angela Breidenbach. In Gems of Wisdom, you'll learn how to forgive emotional pirates, better manage negative people, tough situations, and face your fears. Become the woman of courage, confidence, and candor you want to be. Get your copy of Gems of Wisdom, the treasury of experience today, wherever books are sold or at AngelaBreidenbach.com. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to Lit Up on iTunes. You can subscribe also on Toginet.com. It's all about having a more lucrative, creative career and picking the brains of experts that have walked those steps ahead of you. And be sure to share it with someone else that you know is really interested in building a lucrative, creative career. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. We're back with Cindy McMenamin, and she is my guest today, helping us not only find a drama-free life, finding peace when emotions overwhelm you, her new book, but she also has a website called strengthforthesoul.com. And she has a beautiful way of finding out what to write about, finding your passions. So Cindy, I just want to turn it over to you. Tell us, how do you find your passion? How do you know what to do with those powerful things that are going on in your head? Several years ago, I wrote a book called When a Woman Discovers Her Dream, in which I take the reader step by step through a process to discover what is that dream God has placed on your heart. In other words, what is that thing you have always wanted to do? And how does that dream 
Um, how can you live that out? Uh, what does it look like in various aspects of your life? And um, I just assumed uh, most of my life until I wrote this book that everybody knows exactly what they want to do. Everybody's in touch <laughs> with their passions, but that is not true. No, 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 I, it's not. <laughs> yes. And I find more people who get to midlife and they go, you know, I, I've never really done what I've always wanted to do. And I don't really know why I'm here and what's my purpose and what's my passion. And, you know, my passion has always been to write. I, I, started writing stories for my dolls and my stuffed animals and anybody who would listen <laughs> when I was younger. And um, I, it, it's something that I've, I've been truly passionate about. It was what I did to enjoy uh, myself as a child. Mm. And um, I didn't realize at the time that I was living that dream on my heart. I think I was just doing what I always loved to do. Mm. But there's so many people um, that... Um, you know, something happens here or there, or it's a critical voice or, or something that kind of distracts them from their dream. And they end up pursuing something in life that will maybe pay the bills or mm -hmm. something practical, but sometimes not something that truly makes their heart sing. So I usually um, start when I'm talking with somebody about, um, I talk with a lot of writers who say, you know, I want to write something, but I'm not sure what to write about because uh, you know, I'm good at this. And, and again, I'm talking about, you know, primarily nonfiction, but I think this can apply to, to fiction writing as well. And I usually say, you know, what are you truly passionate about? What, what do you t feel strongly about? What will you talk about? Um, or if the subject comes out, all of a sudden you're very animated, you're very outspoken. Um, what is, what is truly there on your heart? Because that's going to get at the essence of who we are and what we have to offer. Um, for me, my uh, my passion has always been to write, but also my passion or mission statement that I put together through the process in When a Woman Discovers Her Dream, uh, that passion is to encourage, inspire, and motivate women to find a more intimate relationship with God through writing, speaking, and teaching. So that basically becomes what I write about. And if something is not within that realm to encourage, inspire, and motivate women, and now also couples to find a more relationship more intimate relationship with God and with each other, and it's not through that writing and speaking and teaching, then I, I can sometimes step back and go, no, that isn't really something that I feel called to do. That isn't really um, touching the passions of my heart. So I'm going to pass on that project, and I'm going to focus on what I do best and what makes my heart sing. So um, I think whether you're a fiction or a nonfiction writer, what you're passionate about comes into play in terms of what you write about. And mm -hmm. it will help you find that book you're supposed to write. And I think it'll keep you writing. Even when you start to get discouraged and you feel like giving up or you think, you know, maybe there isn't a market for this or I don't know where to go next. I think that's what we come back to time and again, and it will keep us going. I think it's really important to realize that maybe there's not a market for what you write in mm -hmm. your passion at the moment. Exactly. But you're also not turning that book in at the moment. Right. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get carried away with, well, what's selling now? Right. And I had I heard uh, on an agent panel, I, I want to say it was Steve Lobby that said it. And if people want to know who that is, he's an agent, Steve Lobby, mm -hmm. L-A-U-B-E. And um, he said, if you write to the current market and... Uh -huh. A year when your book, you know, would be 
possibly coming out. The market's right. already changed. Exactly. That's how quickly it changes. And you're now, you cannot put your finger on what's going to be so important and so crucial that it's going to sell. I mean, 20 years ago, it was all of a sudden Harry Potter, and nobody had ever heard of this coming-of-age right. wizarding kid's story mm-hmm. that you know got all of these middle schoolers suddenly reading. Um, right. Nobody knew that that was going to be the big seller. And then there's been, um, you've got the Tom Clancy's of the world, and you've got um, Francine Rivers, and she she took time off and didn't write when she became a Christian because she had right. written books that, at this point, she wanted to take them all off of the shelves because she realized it wasn't glorifying God, it wasn't making good in the world. Uh-huh. And so then she wrote a book called Redeeming Love, and that has stayed in like the top ten for ever and right. the point wasn't that any nobody was looking for that book exactly nobody was looking for harry potter nobody right. was looking for what was this latest crazy one um the girl on the train you yeah know? which is a complete mess of genres nobody really understood what it was when it first and so when you write your passion whether you're writing nonfiction or fiction oh what the five love languages Tell uh-huh. me about that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody really was looking for those books when right. they picked them up. So nobody's looking for your book or mm-hmm. my book or our listener's book. Nobody. Right. What they're looking for is a good story or a good fix to a problem. Right. Exactly. And when you write from your heart, and what I've seen from experience is, um, I, it's it's kind of a funny story, Angela. I first uh, when I um, I worked as a, a newspaper reporter for several years, and then I I uh, quit my job to stay home and have a baby, and then I was going to write the book that I wanted to write. I thought mm-hmm. I was writing from my passion when I was going to write a book called Pathway to a Prince, and it's about how I found my husband and found, you know, my happily ever after. Oh, and, you know, sweet. everybody really wants to read a book about how I found my husband and I'm happy, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is not the book I ended up writing. Mm-hmm. I had to go through a little bit of real life, um, just go through that disillusionment of, you know, expecting my husband to meet all of my emotional needs and found out he couldn't. Um, I was a young pastor's wife at the time. And I began to um, meet and disciple with other women um, who were also disillusioned in their marriage. And, you know, I got married and I thought it was all going to be great. Now my husband's doing this and that. And I began to lead them back uh, on that journey that I had to take, which was, okay, I have to start looking to God to meet my emotional needs, not my husband. I have to look to God to be my spiritual husband, as it says in Isaiah 54, instead of looking to my husband to be, you know, the God in my life. And as I began to share with them those principles, I began to see how it ended up improving not only only their relationship with their husbands, but their relationships with others as well. Uh, I saw it make women become less draining on others to get their needs met and and able to give more. And um, the first book then that was published of mine was not called Pathway to a Prince. It was called Heart Hunger, Letting Mm. God Meet Your Emotional Needs. And what God showed me was, even though, you know, I'm thinking at that point, a passion is something that you really love to do. Well, the true definition of passion is a willingness to suffer. What, what lesson there are? What do you feel strongly about that you have to write about no matter, 
no matter whether you get paid or not. And I have since found that when I write from the from the places of hurt in my life, from the places where God has taught me something, from the places where I got convicted or or the places where um, um, God really made a difference in my life or something I uh, experienced with another person really moved me, those um, have become those powerful stories within the books. Those have developed into messages that other people want to hear and need to hear. So again, not coming from a marketing standpoint, how can I write something that will sell? In my life, it's gonna, it's been how can I not write about ways in which I've been changed or moved? And then suddenly those become things that other people eventually want as well. I would agree with you completely. I think it's um, so important to understand what our passions are, but I think people think, well, how can I write an entire book about that? <laughs> you know, and I one of the things though that let's get into that question next. But I I wanted to point out something as you were speaking. I really um, narrowed in on a couple of things that I thought were um, nuggets, golden nuggets. And they were, you know, what are you, what are you passionate about? And you were talking about what gets you, what gets you animated and mm-hmm. what makes you hurt. And I had heard once, too, to find your passion, what makes you laugh? Oh, and what yeah. makes you angry? And mm-hmm. what makes you cry? And I, I liked those questions that give you the concept of realizing that this is what you're passionate about. And if you, uh-huh. you can just watch TV and figure this out because right. when you're crying in a movie, why are you crying? There's, mm-hmm. there's tears of joy and there's tears of pain and there's tears of sympathy. Well, right. what, what are you looking at? What's that scene and why does it affect you? Because you can turn and look at the person next to you and it may or not, may not affect that person. But exactly. I tell you, oh, my husband's going to kill me for this, but... <laughs> <laughs> My husband loves children, Uh and when he sees a child um, in need, you know, they're they're hurting for not having been provided for or something like that, that makes him angry, Mm. and he wants to help that child. And one of the things he does, which is just one of the reasons I fell in love with him, too, because as you get to know somebody, you see them do things that you don't you know you wouldn't normally notice because they're those little things in life but as you get to know somebody and you're with them more and more those little things start to be more prevalent and one of those little things was that uh as we're home during the day now you know and um a lot and or on the weekend and kids from schools will come around and they want to sell something and Mm -hmm. a lot of people will just say no and close the door or They'll say yes, and they won't make the child go through the motions of learning how to do business. My husband will sit there and have that child work with him, and he will—he—he he doesn't know these children from Adam. <laughs> and he says, "No, you need to say this to me." And, and so he's and educating them. Okay. He's educating them, and they'll nod, and he'll say, "No, I said say it to me." 
and they and they say it and he smiles and he says of course I will buy that from you you have shown me why I should and you know what he'll do oh, this stuff good. well he's training them that's he good. is he does a fantastic job of that with kids so when we come back after this next break we're going to get a little bit more into how do you take that passion and translate it into writing we'll see you in a moment Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this. Has anyone ever said to you, man, that'd make a good story, or you should put that down on paper, but you don't feel like you can do it? Those fears in your head, I can't let anyone read my stories. Who cares about what I have to say? Who would read anything I wrote anyway? I'm not special enough or original enough. If those are the fears flying through your mind like a plague of locusts, eating up your confidence each time you sit down to write, all those fears and more boil down to one problem, feeling unworthy. But you are worthy. God gave you a voice and all those ideas swirling in your head for a reason. To write them so that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can touch another person's heart. Let's tackle those fears together because you are worthy to write. Pick up your copy of Worthy to Write on Amazon in ebook or in paperback. It's from the Pencil Dancers team, Angela Breidenbach, Diana Lizier-Brandmeier, Liz Tolsma, and Jennifer Vanderclip. The Pencil Dancers are four published best-selling authors who share their writing life wisdom each week on the Pencil Dancer blog, www.penciledancer.com. We want to help you know that you're worthy to write. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. And we're back with Cindy McMenamin, and we have been having a wonderful time talking about what are our passions, but I would like to have Cindy talk to us now about how to put your passions on paper once you've discovered them. You know, I, I talk to a, a lot of people who are, you know, have several areas of interest, several things that, that are pressing on their their heart. There's several things that they're concerned about. I often ask, okay, which one do you most often talk about? Which one do you most often counsel or advise others about? Again, it's speaking in terms of maybe writing nonfiction, which one meets the most crucial need? Which one stands out maybe among everything else that's been written on the topic? I often tell people, first of all, listen, listen to what God is saying through his word, through the circumstances in your life. Is there like a lesson you keep coming up against? Is there something that that you continue to see that burdens your heart? And then look at what he's showing you in your own personal life, in your ministry, in your day to day life, in your conversations with people. And then look around at whether what others are going through needing help with. So once you know that, well, well, how do you really put that on paper. I think the one thing that I found that that works in my life in order to just just begin to to create content is the first thing I have to do is I have to stay fresh in my soul. In my book, When You're Running on Empty, I was suffering burnout a little bit in writing when I wrote that book. I need to read that book now. (laughs) 
I've got the symptoms of burnout in the in the introduction. In fact, my husband, a pastor, read those symptoms too, and that led to him taking his first year of sabbatical after 15 years of ministry. He said, I've, I've got nearly every one of those symptoms. I got those symptoms actually from a doctor who was telling me, you know, this is what happens in your life when you have, you know, run that battery out to the point where there's just nothing left. I was, you know, kind of in my own life at that point, I was thinking, what do I write after I've written five books in mm-hmm. five years and mm-hmm. I'm running on empty? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> you write about running on empty. <laughs> <laughs> in, in that book, I talked about how to recover from burnout in those, some of those, many of those things that I was doing, you know, by keeping focused in your mind, fit in your body, freshen your soul. All of those components help bring me inspiration too, to this day. When I've been writing a lot and I think, you know, there isn't anything left to write. I'm just, I'm tapped out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go out and I'll, I'll get outdoors. I'll, I'll take a walk around this uh, lake that's nearby. The chapters in that book uh, help me do some of those things. Finding your hideaway, taking time to reflect, regaining the wonder, uh, finding the view. Different things like that that can inspire us. And again, gets us in touch with our passion and, and helps those words to flow again. So staying fresh in your soul, I think, is, is one of those things. I think it's important, too, to realize that it works for fiction authors when you're finding oh, those pain points, because those are the dark moments for your characters. And I mm. often, and people yeah. ask me, they're like, man, do you put yourself into your, into your work? And I'm like, yes. I write fiction and nonfiction, but when I have had a situation where I have felt a lot of pain, so I wrote this one novel called The Debutante Queen. The pain for me was that so many children are not cared about and, and left to their own devices, and so mm-hmm. I wrote a character who stole a child off the streets <laughs> because she wanted wow. to take care of her. And I had another one called Bitter at Bride that will be coming out in the near future. And that one, I had a character that was, she couldn't read. And she had, it was historical, so she was in the past. And she had gone into a bordello in order to make money for her brother and sister to protect them after their parents had, after they'd been orphaned. But she never learned to read. She was never literate. Her adult journey is becoming literate. Well, for me, it was a very deep journey to write that. And it's it's just a little novella. But the deep journey came from the fact that I'm very literate. I've read and written since I was about four. My dad taught me. But I was not literate in relationships. And so what I did was I took my journey, my pain of learning how to be literate in relationships as a young adult. Now I'm much older now. And I hope I'm doing better. (laughs) (laughs) But I took that pain of frustration and put it into the journey of my character Uh, learning how to read and write. uh So you parallel things in fiction that it may or may not be the exact thing, but you can take the emotion out of that exact thing and portray it in something that's tangible in a story, if that makes sense. Yes, it does very much. Some of the most moving stories in my books have, you know, have come from those uh, pain moments in my life, you know, the, the moment at, at which I found out I couldn't have any other children and I found out that I never mm-hmm. should have had my first one in the first place. She she was a miracle. Wow. You know, as I'm waiting, complaining to God that I can't have more, I learned from the doctor, we don't know how you got this first one. And then suddenly that paradigm shift of, wow, I've been blessed more than I can imagine yeah. as I'm blaming God from 
for withholding something from me and stuff like that and and digging into those um those places in your life and yeah i love what you said there about those parallels i've talked to lots of fiction writers who there's something therapeutic there too mm-hmm. about writing again a passion something they felt strongly about something um something that they dealt with and yet working through that as as they write those characters as as they solve those things i think god meets us in a certain way as we write whether it's fiction or nonfiction, when we touch into those uh, those pain points or those learning points in our lives and, and get them down on paper. I would fully agree with you. Fully agree. And I think that then we have to take that passion and make mm-hmm. it consumable. Mm-hmm. And so my question to you is, how would you explain how to make your passion consumable? For me, it would be like um, finding humorous moments as well as dark moments to help them have an emotional journey. But, you know, wh- what do you think? How would you make it consumable? So it's not just about you. It's right. About, you know, how do you make it so the reader feels like it's about them? I coach a lot of writers who come to me and their first thing is, I want to write my story. Mm-hmm. And I told them, you know what? We all have a story. If you want people to read your story you're going to have to get outside of yourself and you're going to have to write something that they're going to want to read. That, that feels very intangible. So like, yeah. how do we make that tangible to a writer or a creator? For instance, um, I was talking with a woman who um, had been through an abusive marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted to write her story about what God did, how he provided for her, just the blessings that she saw. And I said, okay, I realize that when you go out and talk to people, they want to read your story, but you can only talk to so many people. How can you make uh, people at large want this? And I said, what about instead of just writing about you and what you experienced. What if you were to turn this into a book for any woman who is struggling with abuse, with feeling trapped, with feeling betrayed, with feeling rejected, and you were to weave in principles, um, not just saying, you know, this is what I did, but maybe maybe turn that memoir into a nonfiction inspirational book that will help another woman. And, oh, another woman. And um, I believe... We ended up coming up with a title, something like, When God is Faithful and Your Husband Isn't, something like that, because she wanted to talk about the faithfulness of God, but we wanted to get the reader in there, too. So um, as I began to go through and and, uh, read her book and edit her book, I gave her ideas of where she needed to break off from her story and say, now, what are you thinking? What have you been through? Could could this possibly be a door through which God wants to meet you and show you a new avenue that he has for you and things like that? I think sometimes um, when we write, if we get too consumed in our own situation, then um, we forget that there's a reader there that needs to draw something out of it for them. They need to be reminded that you're coming back and you're talking to them. You're not just kind of <laughs> going off on your uh, your own little world about your own life. I think it's a really good thing to do to be cathartic where we write out or journal out our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings. I have two different kinds of journals. One is just journaling what the situation was that happened. And uh-huh. I have a completely second journal that is prayers and uh-huh. the, on the front side of the page and the back side of the page is the answers to those prayers. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And what has happened for me is being able to see the positives that come out of the negatives. Because right. everybody wants to see that good good can come from bad situations. But the other part of it for me is taking it into a how-to. So if you're going to write 
whether it's fiction or it's nonfiction, and if it's cathartic, it's all about me, it's all about that situation, it's all about the feelings that I was having. Write that. Because mm -hmm. that's your pre-work. You know right. what I mean? But then when you're going to write the book for someone else, you take mm -hmm. it out of the journal and you write your title, it's going to change. It doesn't matter at the right. moment. But if you write the title at the top, how to mm -hmm. blah, 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 whatever it is, how to train a cat, how to <laughs> train a husband, yeah. how to uh, how to find faith in God, how to find, how to recognize God as merciful. You know, right. all of a sudden it changes your mental state of this is all about me to I'm going to show someone else how to do right. something. And I think that could help in taking the focus off of the singular Mm -hmm. And yet, the focus becomes other oriented, right? And, and then here's, exactly, yeah, because you're telling them how to. I mean, why do people ask you to coffee? Because they want you to tell them how you did something. Exactly, and mm -hmm. and that's why people pick up books. How is this going to help me? How is this going to solve my problem? How is this going to get me to a new place? And mm -hmm. Angie, that that process is very similar to what I do. I, I journal during my uh, devotional time as I'm reading. Uh, I write out prayers in in where God met me, but then also I turn those into like a chart hurtful moments on the left side, what God showed me through them on the right side, those have then turned into charts in the book, in the application sections at the end of each chapter, where I ask the reader, list on the left side, situations in your life that happened that you didn't understand, and you thought maybe God wasn't there. Then on the right side, think about some of the blessings that came out of that. Where are you today now because of that experience and things like that? So yes, some of those I think there's a, a, a tremendous value in journaling what we're learning mm. and then helping the reader to then make that same deduction or follow that process to arrive at her own conclusions in what she's experienced. So um, I think that's a really rewarding way of writing, too, because you're not just picking out a formula or telling something that you're not sure that works. Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this. Has anyone ever said to you, man, that'd make a good story, or you should put that down on paper, but you don't feel like you can do it? Those fears in your head, I can't let anyone read my stories. Who cares about what I have to say? Who would read anything I wrote anyway? I'm not special enough or original enough. If those are the fears flying through your mind like a plague of locusts, eating up your confidence each time you sit down to write, all those fears and more boil down to one problem, feeling unworthy. But you are worthy. God gave you a voice and all those ideas swirling in your head for a reason. To write them so that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can touch another person's heart. Let's tackle those fears together because you are worthy to write. Pick up your copy of Worthy to Write on Amazon in ebook or in paperback. It's from the Pencil Dancers team, Angela Breidenbach, Diana Lizier-Brandmeier, Liz Tolsma, and Jennifer Vanderclip. The Pencil Dancers are four published best-selling authors who share their writing life wisdom each week on the Pencil Dancer blog, www.penciledancer.com. We want to help you know that you're worthy to write. <laughs> 
Does your past haunt you? Do you feel helpless sometimes? Are deep wounds still hurting your heart? Discover how the troubles from your past have prepared you for a beautiful future in Gems of Wisdom, the treasury of experience by Angela Breidenbach. In Gems of Wisdom, you'll learn how to forgive emotional pirates, better manage negative people, tough situations, and face your fears. Become the woman of courage, confidence, and candor you want to be. Get your copy of Gems of Wisdom, the treasury of experience today, wherever books are sold or at AngelaBreidenbach.com. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. And we're back with my friend Cindy McMenamin. And in the break, I asked her to tell me a little bit about her coaching experience. So Cindy, would you tell us a little bit about what you have done as a writing coach? Well, I've met with a lot of women primarily. I've met with some some guys too that are working on uh, fiction uh, writing and just kind of wanted inspiration to just, you know, not give up and how do I finally make this happen. But the majority of coaching that I've done is when somebody has different ideas, uh, lots of different experience and kind of doesn't know how to focus that in. Um, I think as you approach your first book, there's all this stuff you want to say, there's all this stuff you want to cover, but it's really hard to focus it in. Mm-hmm. And so I've helped several writers um, find that hook, that passion, narrow down their audience, who it is exactly they're speaking to, kind of refine that idea and then write up a proposal and then get that proposal into a publishing house and then see them through um, their first book. Several of those friends now are authors working on their second and third and, and fourth books because sometimes the majority of the help you need is right there honing in on what should I write and and how do I develop this? And, you know, one of the, um, one of the tools that I found is extremely helpful, even when I'm in the place where I'm going, what do I write on next? And that is that I've surveyed uh, a lot of uh, women. There's so many ways to do that now with online surveys, but Mm -hmm. I started out with just a questionnaire that I would bring, bring when I would speak to a group of women, or I just have friends and say, Hey, can I email you this? And I tried to get a really broad spectrum of women. So I'd invite those friends, send a, uh, send this out to your friends or other people that you think might have something to offer. I think of my book, Women on the Edge, in particular. I sent out a survey asking women, what are you desperate for? Uh, what frustrates you that you can't control? What do you? Uh, what is the more that you're looking for in your life? And their answers form the table of contents to a book of mine that became that was called uh, Women on the Edge, Desperate for More, Desperate for Control, Desperate for Change, Desperate for Love, Desperate to Avoid the Patterns of the Past, Desperate to Accomplish, Desperate to Find Yourself, and so on. Mm-hmm. And just got the beginning of, of some stories that I could then go back and contact those people and say, tell me more about this. When I wrote my book, When a Woman Overcomes Life's Hurts, a lot of that came out of surveys. I surveyed about 100 women in different ages and stages of life and, and found some some stories that were among the worst of the worst, but the transformation they went through as they followed certain steps to healing was just amazing. And so that was all stuff that I found as I kind of put the question out there. And then, of course, you know, you have to make sure that these are real people and these are real stories. So I often <laughs> this is true. people true. that I knew and you have to kind of check that out. Mm-hmm. You know, even though my first few books started with a lot of my own personal experience, there's a lot of value in discovering those other credible stories that are out there um, that people might share with you when you see what what 
that's been happening in their life and you get permission to share those stories. I had that happen with me in writing Gems of Wisdom, The Treasure of Experience. My upbringing uh, had to do with some really difficult situations and I started writing for the catharsis of it, but then because people kept asking me to go to coffee. And how did you get through that? I need help. I can't get through this. And so I would start ministering in that way. But then it started to become so many people, I couldn't handle all those coffee dates. Right. And and it was getting a little bit on my budget. Exactly. And I'm like, I got to write a book or something, you know. And so that's kind of where that came from. But going through the stages, like you said, of from catharsis or journal type writing to get that out there to how do I help somebody else? That was a big journey for me, mm-hmm. you know? And then the learning how to write a book proposal. Do you have particular tools that you like to suggest I, for that? I have free resources on my website, strengthforthesoul.com. I have a sample writing proposal. Um, all my books have been with Harvest House Publishers, and they've mm-hmm. actually sent out that proposal uh, to other prospective authors saying, follow this format. So it's kind of a detailed thing, and it's a template, and, and you can feel free to download that and copy that if you want. I also have some, some again, free downloadable resources called Five Myths About Book Publishing, How to Get Started in Writing and Publishing Christian Books, and another one, How to, how to Know if You're Being Called to Write. So those have been some helpful resources for people who kind of know need to know where to start. Oh, I really like that, How to Know if You've Been Called to Write, because sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're not called to write. Uh-huh. Sometimes you're simply called to give your testimony. And, and, you know, I, I firmly believe it has to be a calling because it's got to be something that you stick with. And, and it does get frustrating at times. And uh, you might hear some reviews sometimes that you don't like. And if you aren't convinced this is what you're called to do, it might be easy to give up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have to go back to that calling and that passion, of course. I think that there's a calling built into our DNA, whether mm-hmm. it is to be a writer or speaker or radio host or an artist who paints, whether it's to be someone who builds houses, I believe that is built into our DNA. And when we discover that, there is this marriage of fulfillment and joy on the job that gets you through the rough patches on the job. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that without that, it's very hollow and it's very easy to give up and to get frustrated. And sometimes it's a journey to find what that is because so many other things in life have been in the way, you know. Right. I often say, you know, it's a calling when you have to do it, whether you get paid to do it or not. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of who you are. It's part of how you express. And you may be a writer. You may never have anything published, but you know you're called to write when it just, you have to do it. it it's part of who you are. And But that doesn't mean you should do it for free. It does I'm not, sorry? It does not mean you should do it for free. Just because mm-hmm. you love to do it and you know how to do it. One of the right. things that has driven me crazy in my career is people will say, but you know how to write. Can't you just do this for me? Right. It's like, um, <laughs> I don't just know how to write. I had to go to school and learn how to write. Just like you had to go to school and learn how to do whatever it is. You know, I actually had yeah. a doctor want me to do a brochure for them because I knew how to do it. And I yeah. said, well, we could always trade. I can do this right. work for you and you can do work for, oh, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, you're right. It won't work that yeah, way. <laughs> that, that misconception. I think, um, it, it, unfortunately, sometimes people don't put that value on art. And yet, 
um, there was an author friend who told me uh, years early, she had, you know, she had like five or six books down the road and I had just published my first one. And she said, girl, guard your gift. God has given you something precious and that ability to write. And don't you just go throw that out there for free at anybody. You guard that and you use it carefully and you, you give generously, but you also give with caution because if, if somebody gave you something very precious and you just threw it away, what, what would that be? You know, mm-hmm. so so guard that and value that. And I, I always remember that I, I want to be I want to be generous and gracious with what I have. But I also want to make sure there's always a value attached to that. So let, let me explore that with you for a minute. We, we've got about two or three minutes left here. And I really, really feel passionate about this topic. <laughs> OK, how can you be generous and yet guard your gift? I think what I've had to do in in my own life is, you know, I will often be asked to go out. um, Will you go out and and, and speak for free? And I can't afford to do that anymore. I did that when I started out. I also it also isn't fair uh, to the groups that are willing to pay me to come out and speak. It also isn't fair to my family when I go out and I spend the time and invest in this, but I can't come back and provide for them with what I've done. There are times when when I will work with somebody and I will say, you know what, if you can cover my getting there and giving me a small honorarium for my time, since it's a local thing, then I can do that. And there's usually... Um, you know, some give and take in there. And once I put those parameters out there, people are usually gracious with me. So generosity doesn't necessarily mean I'm just going to do this for free. I think when we begin to feel that we're taken advantage of, when we begin to feel burnt out because we're giving so much and not getting something back, I think that's a sign that that maybe we've we've thrown it out there too much. But we can be generous by by working with people, by um, understanding, I do still want to get this message out, but it would help me if you would just honor my time and my ability and the gift in doing it. I love to give out free books, but I can't do that all my life. And so I, <laughs> I just have, I, I've allotted so much per month. And when I see a certain need or I hear from somebody on my website, I know in my spirit when that's something where I just need to to give a gift that way. And uh, God honors that and always comes back around at me. So I think it's just establishing some boundaries around there. Just prayerfully asking God, show me the ways that I need to be generous. Show me the ways in which I need to give and show me the ways in which I need to guard. Mm, I think that is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's important to creatives out there to understand that they have a right to earn an income and to earn a living. Because what they do matters to the world. What we do matters to the world. It's not just escapism. It's changing a heart, changing a life, giving voice to thoughts that people can't quite unjumble. And it makes life better out there for a lot of people that the creativity of writing, of screenwriting, of music, of art exists. And I am so, so grateful that you talked about how precious it is to guard that gift and the value of your creativity. Cindy, where can we find you online? I am at strengthforthesoul.com. You can leave me a note and let me know you were there. Strengthforthesoul.com. And where can we find you on social media? On social media, I'm also at, uh, I'm on Facebook at Mm strengthforthesoul.com. And um, that's primarily where I am. I'm also at uh, Twitter at Cindy McMenamin, if you can spell that last name, but (laughs) mainly there on my Facebook page. C-I-N-D-I-M-C. That's right. 
M-A-N as in Nancy, A-M as in Mary, I-N as in Nancy. M-C-M-E-N-A-M-I-N. Cindy McManaman. And I am Angela Breidenbach, and you're here with me on Lit Up Talk Radio. And you can find me on social media at Ange Breidenbach. That's A-N-G-B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. And you can also find me at AngelaBreidenbach.com. I will do my very best to put all of the different books and tools that we've talked about in today's episode on the show notes. So be sure to check in on the show notes at toginet.com slash shows slash lit up. And you will find my guest. Thank you for being with us, Cindy McMiniman. You're welcome. Thank you. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to Lit Up on iTunes. You can subscribe also on toginet.com. It's all about having a more lucrative, creative career and picking the brains of experts that have walked those steps ahead of you. And be sure to share it with someone else that you know is really interested in building a lucrative, creative career. The Captive Brides Collection has nine novellas written by nine different authors. And next week, we're going to hear from Carrie Fancett Pagels, one of the authors in the collection. But as a sister author in this collection, it's really fun for me to be able to share Carrie Fancett Pagels with you and Love's Escape on our next show. Tune in with us on iTunes or on toginet.com. Thank you for joining us on Lit Up. Light up your literary world. Expand your imagination. Enhance your life. Lit Up will be back next week with another great conversation. Join us, won't you, right here on Lit Up. I'd rather be